Welcome back. It's a Thursday, the 29th day of February, Leap Day 2024. I'm your host, Mark Call. And let's start off today by getting some of the incredible criminal insanity masquerading as the rule of law out of the way. Let's start with the poster child for criminal incompetence in Georgia, Fannie Willis who continues to embarrass the most idiotic lawyers on the planet by demonstrating that even affirmative action run amok by itself isn't nearly enough to generate criminality like this, and by proving that when it comes to prosecuting somebody for RICO violations, she should have just looked in the mirror. The embarrassing revelations of perjury and whoring just keep coming. Damnably incriminating text messages, a number of them revealed literally in the hundreds by the Megyn Kelly show on Wednesday, don't merely just prove what a corrupt cesspool the Atlanta prosecutor's office is and how bogus yet another of the cases against Donald Trump obviously is. But they beg the question, does the whole left have no shame? Is the state of Georgia really so insanely criminally corrupt that they're going to continue to let this go on and they don't fire every single person that had anything to do with any of this and prosecute the whole stinking lot of them to boot? If you're looking for an obvious reason why Americans don't trust the criminally corrupt so-called justice system, look no further. Oh, well, wait a second. Time out. Maybe we should, because the criminal state of New York is just as bad. How high is up and which smells worse, the stuff that comes out of the back of a horse or a bull? Letitia James, who makes Al Capone look like an upstanding law enforcement official, is at it again. Not content to destroy New York City's commercial real estate market and making election rigging look like a leftist team sport, she's now waging war on beef. Yep, they really do want you to eat bugs. Reuters reports that the scumbag of New York has filed a lawsuit in a state court in Manhattan seeking 5000 bucks per violation. No. Claiming violation of state business laws, it really is the stuff that comes out of the back end of the animals they want to obliterate, at least from your food supply. And to, quote, recoup ill-gotten gains from false sustainability claims. They take bogus science, folks, wrap it up in a veneer of bogus law, and then slam it down people's throats because what they're pushing is all you're going to be allowed to eat. She said on X, I'm suing at JBS Foods USA, the world's largest beef producer, because we want you all to starve. No, for misleading the public about its environmental impact. And listen to this line of bullshit. How dare she even utter the term misleading from the woman who thinks she'll swallow this crap. Quote, the beef industry is one of the largest contributors to climate change, and JBS has falsely advertised its commitment to sustainability and endangered our planet. Yeah, shut up and eat your bugs. This is what we're going to do to you. If she wasn't such a damned hypocrite, she ought to be suing everybody who put her in office for falsely advertising their commitment to democracy. Good grief. Quote, Families are willing to spend more of their hard-earned money on products from brands that are better for the environment, she said in another idiotic release. JBS's greenwashing exploits the pocketbooks of everyday Americans. No, not like what they're doing. And the promise of a healthy planet for future generations. Morons. I've got morons on my team. I guess, folks, I'd be hard-pressed to argue that people who will put up with this kind of crap being forced down their throats don't deserve exactly what they're going to end up getting. 
So is there any news today on the legal front that doesn't read like something out of the dystopian black comedy Brazil? The U.S. Supreme Court on Wednesday agreed to hear President Trump, you know, the actually elected president's immunity claim in the bogus trial of special counsel sick Jack Smith and his January 6th persecution in Washington for what the senile imposter was actually installed in the office actually did. Offering, I guess you could say, another glimpse at the emperor's nudity. The high court will hear oral arguments on an expedited schedule during the week of April 22nd and try to decide whether or not they're going to have a rule of law anymore by the end of the term in June, if not sooner. Meaning that the January 6th show trial may be postponed until after the November rigged election. And what this means, as the far-left New Republic admitted, is that, quote, former appeals court judge Michael Luddick predicted that it's now probably unimaginable that Trump could be tried in special counsel Jack Smith's federal election interference, sick, trial before the 2024 election. So expect a new scam, folks, real soon now. And just to bring that point home, one or two quick announcements from the latest primary debacle in Michigan, where former Congressman Lee Zeldin first went on CNN Tuesday night after President Trump's latest victory, and building upon the fact that the deep state plant masquerading as a rhino, Nuki Haley could only muster 28% of the primary vote, even counting her Democrat voter base, Zelda noted that President Trump received more votes in Michigan than all of the Democratic primary votes combined. He called it the enthusiasm gap. I guess, folks, it's tough to get worked up when your candidate is a senile houseplant. Come to think of it, houseplants don't walk into walls, though. And then he added, quote, it's possible that the entire blue wall gets painted red this November, unquote, which resulted in CNN promptly cutting him off. Still, though, they did let this slip. John King reacted after Joe Biden lost the Dearborn, Michigan primary election vote to uncommitted, saying, let me sure I get this right. So that's a wow. I guess really, though, folks, that shouldn't surprise anybody who, after all, wouldn't prefer uncommitted or none of the above to a senile suicide bomber. Quick bit of good news then as we segue on to economics today. Mitch McConnell, rhino masquerading as the Republican leader in the Senate, according to the AP, announced he's stepping down as the Republican leader. <laughs> and how's that for a misnomer? Announcing he was finally doing what actual Republicans had been asking for years, he said, quote, one of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter, which may mean he's finally realized he's years too late. When it comes to Senate leadership, though, the only question I have is, will anybody actually notice when he's gone? So as promised, today's Bidenomics update, how goes the continued meltdown of a once-free republic? Well, Macy's announced this week they're going to close 150 stores across the once-free country over the next three years, including 50 by this year's end one of which is the San Francisco flagship store. And as you might expect, the fact that more stuff seems to be stolen than actually bought is a big part of the reason. Said one unidentified employee, and you can guess why, it's the theft, and people aren't coming in. Basically, the same thing that happened to the Nordstrom is happening to us. This next item from Zero Hedge is both another sign of the times and a really interesting indicator of not just how things are melting down, but how fast especially given that there's more inflation news supposedly due out today. 
begins Tyler Durden, there was a collective gasp of surprise a couple of weeks back when not only did CPI and core CPI both come in far hotter than expected. Yeah, folks, Bidenflation really is out of control. But the closely watched sticky super core inflation, core CPI services X shelter index, scored 0.7% month over month, and that's the biggest jump since September of 2022. And while we correctly warned that the inflation print would come in red hot, they note, most of Wall Street didn't. And they were scrambling to come up with some justification for why, again, they were all collectively wrong. They single out the vampire squid Goldman for particular ridicule, saying it was the January effect. But now the reason why Goldman and so many others scrambled to goal-seek their narrative that sees the Fed cutting rates in March, or is it May, or maybe June, as Goldman now claims to, but they previously forecast both of those other months as the beginning of the Fed's easing cycle, well, or whenever it ends up being, because that's the only thing that will validate the very bullish year-end S&P price targets by various banksters, which have been aggressively raised over recent weeks by what Zero Hedge correctly calls the Wall Street lemmings. But there's yet another reason why the Fed needs, must, cut. Because if they don't, the odds of a market maintaining an upward glide path into the November rigged election looks pretty slim. Not to mention the so-called strength of Bidenomics, all of which are as dead as the dodo. In other words, the real shock is not that inflation printed high. Everyone knows how high prices are and which direction they're moving. It's that the Biden Department of Labor Statistics... You know what the acronym stands for, really, folks, Bureau of Lying Statistics, so we shouldn't be surprised. But they admitted to the fact. So two weeks later, the BLS has now realized precisely the error that it made. And as Bloomberg reported today, the U.S. Labor Department's statistical agency sowed confusion. Who could have thought it on Wall Street this week in an email about a key factor behind that oh-so-unexpected jump in January's CPI? Are you sitting down? A Tuesday email to a group of what are called data super users was seen by Bloomberg, and it suggested a surge in a measure of rental inflation, which left analysts puzzled, and it was caused by an adjustment in how subcomponents of the index are weighted. Yep, when you need to rig something, you change the weightings. And adding to the speculation that the data had been rigged, and we're now witnessing yet another conspiracy in action, one recipient of said email said that the BLS statistics tried to retract it. And then they were told to pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Yeah, disregard the contents. And the claim goes something like this. The spike in owner's equivalent rent was a major factor behind the strength of that overall oh-so-unexpected January CPI spike, given its outside weight in the index. So, got to fix that. But whatever the reason, notes Tyler Durden, the cascade from that higher-than-expected CPI number eventually led Fed officials to have to warn there might be a delay in the widely anticipated interest rate cuts. Which is bad news for the Biden Fuhrer. Hence, they note the following bizarre email sent out by the Bureau of Lying Statistics. Dear super users, good afternoon. The weights for single-family detached homes increased materially from December 2023 to January of 24, and all of you searching for the source of that divergence have found it. No additional information related to this question will be disseminated. We do not do diagnostic analyses of microdata. You're just supposed to slurp up what we feed you. 
So, continues Zero Hedge. While it's not immediately clear just what a super user is to BLS, it was obvious that the BLS is now in damage control mode, trying to justify why they allowed that January CPI print to come in, well, truthfully, well, hotter than expected. The implication is simple. Now that the BLS knows what caused that spike, and no, it wasn't what you think, no, not at all, they won't allow it to happen again. Next time, we'll rig the data better, and we'll try to cover our tracks better, too. We certainly won't send you an email admitting what we did and how wrong we were and how we're trying to cover it up. All right, well, let's skip over some of the machinations here. But as Zero Hedge notes in conclusion, it would certainly be conspiratorial to suggest that the BLS is somehow in cahoots with the Biden fuel regime as they seek to mitigate any potential upside price shocks in the months leading up to an election that they're trying their best to rig in spite of the fact that everybody knows there's no way in hell they could actually win it if it were honest, especially if the actual economic data was allowed to come out. And all of that is almost as conspiratorial as the BLS accidentally sending out an email to its so-called super users and then promptly seeking to retract it. Which leads us to today, when the core PCE for January, the Fed's preferred gauge of uh, inflation, is due to be released at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And as Newsquawk reports, the report will be key because it will be used to confirm whether or not the hot inflationary narrative seen from other January inflation data is uh, still allowed to be promulgated. Place your bets? Oh, too late. You could have probably guessed it anyway. Good news! There's another story later from Zero Hedge. One of the Fed's favorite inflation indicators, the core PCE deflator, dropped to only, yeah, sure, 2.8% year-over-year in January, exactly as expected. But there is some bad news, because services soared on a month-over-month basis, and short-term signals are less encouraging. The three- and six-month numbers are up, well above 2%, while service costs jumped even more and durable goods costs flipped into deflation land. Finally, though, there's ugly news. Even more focused from the Fed's perspective is the Services Inflation X Shelter. Does that sound familiar? The PCE equivalent actually ticked up on a year-over-year basis to almost 3.5%, thanks to a huge 0.6% month-over-month jump, and that's the biggest since December 2021. Under the hood, every supercore sub-element rose month-over-month as well. But if you're looking for something behind the covers, try this on for size. Government handouts exploded higher by 92 billion bucks month over month in January. And that is the biggest jump since July of 2021. All of these folks post-regime change. When it comes to eyebrow raisers on the inflation, disinflation, or deflation, and total collapse front, not to mention the destruction of the rule of law and commercial real estate in the Big Apple, this is the conversation starter for today. A top Canadian pension fund has sold a Manhattan office tower, I guess they want to beat the rush, for one measly buck, sparking what the Zero Hedge folks call a fire sale panic. Yeah, it begins, according to Bloomberg, Canadian pension funds, which were until recently among the world's most prolific buyers of real estate, have started a revolution that inspired retirement plans around the world to do the same and emulate them because, in the immortal words of Ben Bernanke, Canadian real estate prices never go down. But finally, looks like gravity really does exist, and the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board has recently done three deals at what they call deeply discounted prices, selling its interest in a pair of Vancouver Towers and a business park in Southern California. But that was then. This is now. 
They just shocked the entire industry by selling their stake in a Manhattan office tower for one measly fiat buck. The worry, says the piece, is that such fire sales might set an example for other majors investors seeking a way out of the turmoil, too. Not to mention a way out of New York, where they just may steal your building for less than a buck if you're not properly woke. Forcing a wholesale crash in the Manhattan real estate market, which seems to be what Letitia James and the black-robed pervert known as Angeron had been trying to accomplish anyway. Although I don't think they intended for all real estate in Manhattan to collapse, they just wanted to be able to gang-rape Donald Trump and sell what he had to their buds for pennies on the dollar. And here they quote Goldman, which notes that in the hardest-hit cities, as many as 14 to 16 percent of offices may no longer be viable, and their average transaction prices have already declined by 13 to 35 percent. However, they say because of lack of liquidity in this market, and with theft like we're seeing in New York City going on, that may not improve anytime soon. These recent transaction prices have not yet started to reflect, they say, the current values of many existing offices. Goldman ominously concludes that, quote, I'll Alternative valuation methods, like those based on repeat sales and appraisal values, suggest that actual office values may be far lower than the average transaction price. Well, says Zero Hedge, a one-buck sales price might certainly confirm that actual office values are far, far lower. Here's one more economic story today. Call it a caution or a word to the wise. Horrified Coinbase users, says a piece from the Daily Mail in the UK, have shared their shock at discovering that their accounts on the crypto trading app had been wiped out, zeroed. Stunned users took to the Internet Wednesday to say that their balances had been reduced to zero without warning. Lots of people tweeted about it, as you might expect. And Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong told the Nasdaq that the outage came after, quote, a large surge of traffic overwhelmed the platform. And it's thought to be linked to Bitcoin surging to 63000 bucks for coin. That's close to its all-time high. And somehow or other, what they're calling a glitch happened at about the same time. Coinbase says they are investigating this, and they'll provide an update shortly, but not to worry. Your assets are safe. Trust us. Quote, we're aware that some users may see a zero balance across their Coinbase accounts and may experience errors in buying or selling, but again, your assets are safe. Further details on what caused the glitch, says the Daily Mail, have yet to be shared, and it's unclear whether or not users have yet had their balances restored. Still, though, Coinbase is the United States' largest cryptocurrency exchange by trading volume. And the good news for Coinbase and its stockholders is that the drama on Wednesday hadn't had any negative impact on the stock price. It still sits right around 200 bucks a share. Now that Fannie Willis has become a household name, and perjury is obviously just fine if you're black enough and on the take enough, and certainly if you're going after an actually elected president so that you can defend one who's senile and trying to destroy the entire country, but isn't that the real point here? I want to spend a few minutes at least doing a piece from Donald Jeffries in his substack entitled George Floyd, Fannie Willis, and Our Ghettoized Idiocracy. And he begins by noting that he, too, has watched far too many clips of the Fulton County, Georgia, so-called district attorney, Fannie Willis, and her test line. It's like the proverbial train wreck, he said. You won't learn anything from it. You won't feel good about it. It's gratuitous stupidity on display. A lot of drivers, though, still gawk at it anyway. And I, he says, have been gawking at this obscenity. 
which brings him to the real point of the story. Affirmative action may, he says, have once served some kind of purpose, perhaps to be implemented for at least a very brief time until the playing field was leveled, but that time has long since passed. Fannie Willis is absolutely the most ignorant, ill-educated, and unqualified person for someone in her position that I have ever seen. Not to mention, folks, she's an outright criminal. As a radical blue-collar worker in the late 1970s and 80s, says the author, I toiled alongside and socialized with literally hundreds of blacks. None of them went to college, let alone law school. But all of them were more articulate than Fannie Willis. She sounds just like the average woman working in housekeeping did back then, except that those housekeepers weren't generally dishonest or virulent racists. Willis represents the next step, says the author, in what is the ghettoization of America. Public officials didn't used to sound like Fannie Willis. People scrubbing toilets for a living did. And compare this current crew with the likes of a previous generation, a Colin Powell, a Clarence Thomas, a Thomas Sowell. Or maybe don't. I'd be all in favor, says the author, of an affirmative action that gave people from impoverished backgrounds, of all races, a chance at upward mobility. But still, they'd need to be qualified. What we're seeing instead is an exclusively black phenomenon. Can you picture, he asked, some white trash from a trailer park with similar lack of English proficiency and impulse control, uh, like Fannie Willis, actually being admitted to any law school in the country, let alone becoming a district attorney? Well, you can thank George Soros for that, and you know why. You don't see any white-talking heads, he notes, or even news or sportscasters who butcher the language the way so many black-talking heads do. Because, he continues, decades of capitulation to ghetto culture itself, as your host has interject here, an outgrowth of the Lyndon Johnson Great Society, socialism and dumbing down run amuck. But all of it, he says, has helped build the mess that is America 2.0. Maybe I'm the only white American who doesn't find life in the hood fascinating. I'm not interested in gangbangers. I'm repulsed by them, as all decent people should be. A century ago, the media began glamorizing gangsters like Al Capone. Tough guys portraying gangsters on screen were the toast of Hollywood. And while millions of Americans enjoyed gangster movies, they didn't mimic the lifestyle. They didn't pretend to be gangsters, throwing up ridiculous hand signs that are often satanic as well. They didn't ostracize those in their own community who read, who wanted to be educated. Fox News can dutifully say African-American all they want. It's a stupid divisive term, and it serves to notify others of one's cuck status. And it's, of course, particularly true in politics, where you have Ebonics queens like Maxine Waters and Sheila Jackson Lee. Again, says the author, I could take any two random black laundry workers from back in the day, insert them in Congress in their place, and no one would know the difference, and they'd be a lot less corrupt to boot. Bottom line, we've never really had a meritocracy, particularly in Washington, but what we now have is a ghettoized idiocracy. And where has it brought us? Well, this next example hits pretty close to your host's heart. What kind of person, asked the author, would support a program where airplane pilots, who quite literally have the lives of all those on board in their hands, to be the beneficiaries of affirmative action hiring? And remember, folks, the situation is particularly egregious when you realize what they're trying to do is replace far better pilots who had the brains not to take the poison poke and turn their bodies into little spike protein factors. Oh, yeah, and at the same time, probably knew that they were running afoul of the Federal Aviation Medical Regulations to boot. You have a brain, you don't get to fly. But don't worry, we're going to replace you with somebody who doesn't. Fannie Willis may railroad innocent people. Nothing unique there. This is just the racism we saw from a century ago inverted. 
Still, even as objectionable as she is, her DEI status doesn't put the lives of every spectator in the court in jeopardy. Well, folks, if you're watching what's going on, it does put their property in jeopardy and may yet provoke that long-planned civil war. And the same thing, says the author, goes for surgeons. Do you really want an affirmative action surgeon to operate on you? Again, no one has criticized white doctors more than I have, but surely those chosen for DEI reasons aren't going to be any better. And Willis has been caught committing perjury, lying on the stand, and actually admitting to crimes, and has the chutzpah to claim that she's prosecuting Trump for crimes that uh, she makes look kind of tame by comparison, even if he was guilty. It's really shameful, says Donald Jeffries, that we've come to this, that an utter moron and a cartoonish, corrupt, compromised moron at that can be artificially elevated to a position of such prominence and respect. Yeah, arguably for entirely political purposes and as a hatchet job and with the intent of destroying what's left of the country. But Fanny's hardly alone. Don't forget the utterly corrupt Letitia James and the crew of evil in New York. And in a land where St. George Floyd is worshipped and that allows a Fanny Willis to rise to power, a ghettoized idiocracy is certainly playing a major role in the country's destruction. With that in mind, we'll close with one brief warning from the Daily Mail and Vladimir Putin, who made a direct threat, it seems, to nuke the West as he accuses NATO and the U.S. of, quote, preparing to strike Russia in his annual address to the nation and warns about the destruction of civilization. They're preparing to strike our territory, he said, as we see indications that perhaps NATO is indeed moving into western Ukraine. But he added, remember the fate of those who try to invade our territory, and remember that we too have weapons, weapons that can defeat them on their own territory. At least, folks, he seems to be concerned that nuclear weapons could, quote, equal the destruction of civilization. And may Yahuwah bless you and yours. <laughs>